Hey, 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 welcome back to RM Podcast FL. This is your favorite podcaster, Romina. I hope everybody's having a great and an amazing day so far. And it's Tuesday, so we already know it's time for a new episode. Before we do jump to the new episode, I want to just thank everybody for listening to the podcast and investing their time towards the podcast. I know we have a lot of new awesome episodes, and I feel like I say this every week, you guys. But before I do jump to the intro for today's speaker, I just want to stop by and actually go through something that I learned recently just by the podcast alone. I remember the very first time with the very first interview, um, Jonathan Torres, I actually was so worried and so freaking out that I even forgot his name. Like, that's pretty embarrassing, you guys. But, um, I collected myself and the interview went really good, but I was so nervous. And then the second interview, I was so nervous. I was so worried about asking questions. And then the third and the fourth, and I've conducted so many interviews so far, and I've learned so many new things about the world, about the business, about myself. So what I'm trying to say, you guys, it is very scary to take a step. It is very scary to make that first step towards a goal or towards something that you want to try but please go ahead and do so even if you fail it's okay because you're going to learn a new lesson and you're just going to do better the second the third the tenth fiftieth hundred time around so learn in every single step that you take it's very important i thought of sharing that with you guys because more and more I'm comfortable in every interview and I've learned more questions, like better questions, what to ask my, my guests. So without losing any time, I hope my little life experience there helps you guys for whatever uh, goal or career or uh, whatever you want to accomplish next. So just go for it. Just kill it. I know you can do it. You know you can do it. You're just worried. So just go for it. Like my, my good friends, uh, my Sherry, my good friend says, she says, you're not worried about winning you're just worried because you're gonna know you're gonna win and you're gonna have to do more stuff and it's gonna be a higher level so just go out there guys and just hit your goals but today's guest speaker is joshua reed joshua is a transformational mindset coach and business consultant he has over 25 years of study practice and teaching in personal development mind and body coherence leadership cultivation and optimal mindset development he has a very unique approach of coaching where he is able to elaborate complex and integrate concepts into easy way to understand modules this interview is actually really awesome so if you actually want to see the youtube video of it go ahead and do so because it was conducted through zoom i'm very excited about this one we actually talk about joshua's uh, life how it changed after military what he did learn in the military and the transition from military to civilian and mind uh, the transformation mindset coach um it is a little bit longer interview but i hope you guys really enjoy it and for any questions i will attach his information below so feel more than free to go ahead and get a hold of him at joshuarobertreed.com as well as through linkedin i will attach his information i hope you guys enjoy this interview Perfect. Awesome, guys. So just like I said on the intro, today's guest is Joshua Reed, which I'm super excited about this interview. Hi, how are you doing today, Joshua? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for asking. So I'm very excited about this. We actually connected with each other through spotaguest.com, which I think is a great platform. And it's free for all my podcasters out there. So definitely take advantage of it. It's a really good way to connect with uh, with professionals of different careers, just like yourself. And without hesitation, I do definitely want to pass on the mic to you so we can introduce yourself a little bit better. Tell us about Young You to today. Walk us through your life. All right. Well, I'm a transformational mindset coach and a business consultant. And so kind of young me to today. Oh, my God. That is uh, an interesting question, right? Um, very curious um, young man, uh, always curious about science the mind, how the mind operates. Um, mm -hmm. Started really early off in my teenage years, just reading everything I could get my hands on from hard science to metaphysics. And uh, I, I took a passion for it and uh, really dove deep into the type of study and practice uh, in the understanding the mind and how it integrates into different levels of reality. Um, 
fortunately for me, what it did is it caused me to go into the military when I was about 19 years of age. Um, I went into the United States Navy and uh, I, I look at it as a defining moment in my life. It was a very interesting point. I was uh, very ambitious about life, but had no direction, had no idea what direction was. Um, you know, I, I was more introverted, I want to say, inside myself in the sense of self-discovery. And so I found the military as kind of a way to, um, I guess, introduce myself to a level of self-discipline. And uh, going into the military was an interesting um, part of my life. Uh, it's like shock and awe when you first get in. If anybody's ever been in the military, you know that you're riding that bus from the airport and you're all like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to go see the world. And then you get to that level of boot camp, and it's just like, what did I get myself into? Why did I do this? Um, I don't want to do this anymore. And it was this massive level of shock and awe. And so one of the interesting things I learned from this was discipline. And it's not necessarily the discipline that we want. It's, uh, I call it constructive discipline, but it's fear-based. Um, it's interesting because there are two types of disciplines when we talk about how the mind actually operates, right? We have two predominant emotions that we have. We have pleasure and we have pain. So we're either moving towards pleasure away from pain. And so the military focuses on a fear-based discipline where we're always trying to keep you away from that pain. So, I mean, we're talking about the type of decisions and choices you make in a military career can derive into loss of life, loss of money, or loss of time. And so they will punish you with loss of your liberty, loss of your time, and loss of your money. Um, so you always have this kind of incessant uh, uh, thought hanging over your head whenever it comes to getting things done in the military or being on time or doing what you need to do. So it was an inter interesting introduction and kind of, I had a whole history of martial arts as well. I did about 15 years of martial arts when I was younger. And so I had this other level of discipline, which was very um, passive in a sense. It's kind of like pleasure derived, right? Is you know that you really enjoy something, you're passionate about it and you want to see it through. And so you make yourself go through it. You go through the repetitions with happiness, with joy, because it brings about an end result, which is pleasure in the, in, in the long sense, right? Pretty cool stuff. I have, a, Go ahead. I have a question though, um, because uh, I live in Jacksonville, Florida. We do have a big naval, naval station down here. And most of my friends that I met that have been in the military or are in the military, they do tell me that whenever they go to their boot camp and they meet their family, like their families most of the time say, oh my God, I'm so proud of you. You become a whole new person. Did such a thing happen for you as well? It, it did, it did. Um, you know, I was really young at the time. I had never been away from home. I'm from a really small town from Western New York, um, less than 2,000 people, and uh, never left really the 20-mile radius of my home. It was the first time I'd been away. And um, after that, I'll, I'll tell you, when you do graduate from boot camp or AIT or whatever it is, you have this massive sense of accomplishment. And that is part of the process, is to show you that through structured discipline, you get massive levels of accomplishment. And so my family came in and they were just overjoyed with the progress that I had made in life within my own personal structure. Um, the type of person I'd become standing up straight, right? P perfect posture at that point in time. And for what I was becoming. And I think that's a very important part of life. But do you think it would be the same if you were to go in the military in your late 20s? Because I, I know there is an age, like a cut of the age of how long, you know, how how old you can be to join the military, but do you think it's different for people that join in, the, in their teens? Because they're still technically developing. Um, they're still technically being built and creating their own identity. But for somebody on their late 20s, do you think would they get that military culture and discipline like the teenagers would? So I was in a, a management position in the military and I had a, a few people underneath me. And so I had people who were older than me. At the time I was 22, 23, I had people who were 30 years of age underneath me. And I will tell you that they went through boot camp and into the military later in life. Um, I don't want to say they had it easy, but it was, I think it was um, more conducive in an environment for them to adapt to because they had more life experiences. They were more open-minded in the sense of life and how life kind of evolves around us. 
Um, and so I found these people more easygoing, more laid back in their mentality about how the military operates. Like it was a walk in the park in a sense to where someone in the teenage years, it's like, um, this is scary, right? This is, uh, you know, help me out here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how, so you come from a very small town, mm-hmm. you go to the military, you get introduced to a whole different world. And how long were you in the military for? So I was in just uh, about nine and a half years. Uh, got out okay. just sort of 10 years and um, was in San Diego predominantly. Uh, did three tours of duty uh, to the South Pacific and one to Southeast Asia. Um, and then I went to Lackland Air Force Base for some training for about six months and then headed to Washington, D.C., where I was stationed at the Washington Navy Yard uh, for just under three years. I see. Now, you leave the military. You're 19. You join the military for about 10 years. You leave yeah. the military. You go back to the civilian life. How is that? <sighs> well, you know, the day I got out, it was a sigh of relief. It was like, wow, I'm finally free. And... Um, one thing about the military is you get this exposure to the world that um, I don't want to say normal people, but people who've never been in the military environment don't get. You see a certain aspect of the world that uh, is more obscure in a sense. And so when you get out, you look at life differently, I think, in a, in a very broad sense that, you know, life can be way more fulfilling than a lot of people take, um, take it to grant, for granted for in a sense. Um, so when I got out, uh, the idea was to move to San Diego. And I went to uh, my friend's house in Colorado and I, I'd been there for 10 years. I never left. Um, and so what happened is, is I got to Colorado and I started kind of seeing this, um, this different lifestyle, this more laid back, relaxed lifestyle. And that helped me a lot in the sense of the transition into the civilian life. Um, it, I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of uh, a lack of self-discipline in the sense. It took me a little while to get going. Um, I didn't want to, you know, do what I had done for 10 years straight every day. I didn't want to no longer get up at five in the morning. I didn't want to go through the structure in the regiment anymore. I just kind of wanted to be and hang out for a little while. Um, and then it kind of transitioned to, okay, I need to get my life together. And it was interesting because you had this immediately, this mindset kick in of this is what needs to be done. This is how it needs to be done. Okay, let's go do it. Um, and within three months of my transition, I scored a middle management position at a large company um, it, doing exactly what I wanted to do. And it was kind of serendipitous in a sense. Um, everything just kind of was syncopated and, and worked out. And the transition from the military into the airline industry, which I went to, was quite interesting because the airline industry has a, a very similar type of environment. I mean, you got planes, you got JP6, jet fuel everywhere. So you get that smell, um, you know, it has it the same cannot kind of, be a laid back industry. Absolutely. Everything is to be just right. flying every. Yeah. So it was a really good environment to transition from, but I started noticing some massive organizational structures that bothered me. And so okay. for, for the military, you have a level of personal accountability due to this fear-based discipline. In the corporate world, you don't. You don't have any type of um, imposed discipline on you. It's self-discipline. It's your own level of discipline, your own personal accountability. And if you're not applicable to that, you're fired. You're out. And so there was this, there was no longer a, a carrot hanging in front of my face or there's no longer this, uh, this fear driving me to do these accomplishments to do these certain things as well as is that it was such a large organization that was kind of like packed into a tin can to where you could see all the working of the systems and realize there was major inefficiencies in how it operated yeah and i'm not so just talking about focus a li- yeah. so let's focus a little bit on that because uh, i'm glad you actually brought that up um, military is very structured, is very set rules. You follow the rules. Things don't really change because they work. We know for a reason they work and they stay the same. Mm-hmm. Corporates tend to have corporate re, um, organization reconstruction and reorganization of the whole corporate to try something new and be up to date. Yeah. Tell me a little bit other differences that you see between military and corporates and some good differences and some not so good differences. Yeah, so to give you an idea is, um, I basically manage data, uh, data centers in, in, on Navy ships. And uh, the systems that I operated on were 20 to 40 years old. Now, 
what we would do is we would take these um, these ships that we had and we would strip them bare and we'd send them to Australia. And the Australians would basically change out everything in that whole data center with the laptop. Because the laptop had the same level of computing powder as this 2,000 square foot room. And so it's interesting mm -hmm. that because everybody always asks, why don't we update this stuff? Why don't we upgrade this stuff? And here's the thing. If it isn't broke, don't fix it. And so the military is very... Um, very adamant on this in the sense where let's not be wasteful. Let's, if we have operations and structures in place that work, we're not changing them. There's no reason to change them. And if everybody's following them and it's abiding by our founding principles and our values, no reason to change this, right? Even if you had someone kind of plug in a new line, a uh, new first line leader comes in and plugs into the system and they start making changes. It's immediately reciprocated back to them that their changes are no longer going to fly or they're not going to stick somehow some way that it comes back down and really this so it, it's interesting because on a ship you have a captain right and it's kind of like mm -hmm. i don't want to say the dictator but it kind of is and so everything flows in the sense of decision making processes from this so how you operate in the sense of the mindset on that ship is really how he wants things ran and so if someone plugs into that system that is not conducive with that environment they find out real fast that it's not going to work for them and they have to change. They have to change, not the system where in the corporate world, you get the separate mentality. You get a EVP that comes in a director or somebody, and they want to do things their own way. And they say, you know, they go to the EVP and say, Hey, look, we're going to do things this way. Hey, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Let's fund this project, and this project, do it. And they come in with a completely different style of management. And so if you have 200 people under you and they're been accustomed to this one person who's been there for 10 years, and that's the way that their life had ran. Now you're coming in, you're trying to change their mindset, their habits and behaviors, their fundamental beliefs of how that system ran. And that's not conducive with that environment. So what you're going to have is you're going to have people dislike you and they're not going to perform to the ability that you want them to perform. And I think this is a lot of the things that we see in the corporate and the, the medium, the large business environments is this type of mindset of these upper level, upper level first line leaders that come in who have their own management style and they neglect to actually take into account the people that are leading. Would you say that's a big reason why retention on the military is much higher compared to retentions on corporate world? I would say so because, you know, the military is, it, it's simple if you pay attention. And so we're, it's reiterate, reiterated over and over. It's ingrained inside of us, attention to detail, attention to detail. Because if you pay attention, Life is easy. Life is smooth. It, it just, everything's provided for you in the sense of structure, um, in organization. It's, it's all there right in front of you. You have every opportunity in the world to progress forward in your career if you want to. If you don't, you don't have to. And if you want to digress, you can digress and they'll get rid of you. But the thing is, is that it's made for people who want to be successful, people who have a level of self-discipline and structure in their life. And that's what they implement into you in the sense of the values. And so, Take that to a person just starting their career four years of college and they go into this business environment that they've never been introduced to and there's no introduction, maybe one day of introduction of uh, you know, a preparatory class of what they're going to be introduced to. You know, they don't know what the culture's like. Yeah. Right? They don't know the management style they're going to be introduced to. They just came from college. It's a completely different mindset for them. And so what I like to do is I like to – I like to help businesses in this aspect because that's kind of what I do is I go in there and we look at this, this community. We look at this mindset. We look at how the management styles are integrating. We look at the human component of the system and the processes that are operating and how we can make those more efficient and optimized. So let's focus a little bit on the mindset. Yeah. You, you, you express that you're really into science. You love reading. You love mindset. 19, go to the military, you're an introverted person. Walk me through your mindset. How did it change and how has it implanted your life path to where you're at right now? Okay, so the introverted person changed really fast when I joined the military. You no longer can be introverted. I mean, it just, it doesn't stick. Um, you're, you're put into a place with so many different cultures, so many different people, right? And so another word that I use for culture is paradigm. And so paradigm is nothing more than our external limitations, how we perceive the limitations of the outside world. So different people have different belief structures. These pertain to their external environment. And this is what is called a paradigm, right? 
or what we call a culture. So you're influenced by all these different cultures and you have to talk to people, you have to make friends. So being introverted was no longer a, uh, a path for me. I had to become uh, an extrovert. I had to meet people. And uh, kind of like I, the joke I always say is, I was 21 years of age, I had no friends and I was in San Diego. You have no other choice but to walk into a bar and say, hey, bartender, help me. And uh, <laughs> a lot of the personal skills that I learned were from bartenders. I'm, I, really, uh, they, I walked in there and had a beer and just had conversations with people. And they taught me all about themselves and how people operate. You want a good psychologist, go talk to a bartender. They know that is very cool. I actually used to work foot and beverage and that's how I get to know and to getting to know people and getting to hold a conversation. You can tell body language and nonverbals and just pick up on somebody right away. That is very true because I worked foot and beverage for years. Yeah. Yep. And so for me, uh, that open-mindedness came about in the early parts of the military. And then I soon went on deployment and I saw um, South America, I saw Southeast Asia, Central America, the, the Western coast of Mexico, um, was out on the ocean. Uh, we were one of the points that we were at was uh, right off the coast of the Galapagos Islands, about 300 miles off the coast of Peru. So if you can look at a map and you look at South America, you look at Peru and you just kind of go to the middle of the ocean. I've been there and it's one of the most serene places in the world. It's, um, it reminds me of a Jimmy Buffett song. Um, what a pirate looks like at 40 mother, mother ocean. It, it's, Every time that I think of it, it just brings me back to this openness of who nature really is, who, um, what kind of what life is really about. It's about this connectedness because I've been so far away from any landmass, from the whole world in a sense, right? 300 miles from the rest of the population, just there with 200 different people. And so you're not forced, but you have to go and meet these people. You have to understand their habits, their behaviors, and you got to get to like them in a certain sense, but also you have this sense of connectivity when you're out in that environment. And it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing. And I'll tell you, my time in the military allowed me to really grow as a human being and really respect nature as well as humanity a lot more. That, you, that's kind of reminding me whenever I went down to the Kennedy center down here in uh, Cape Canaveral here in Florida, whenever you see like from the space, you see the whole world. And, well, I remember when I was with my friend and I was like, I wonder what the astronauts, like they should know each other very good because there's nothing else to talk about. So like it or not, you have to learn and kind of look at it from that perspective. It kind of makes you think differently too, because I'm in the middle of nowhere. Like you're in the middle of the ocean. It's like the problems that we seem so big in everyday life, they're actually so small yeah. when you're like a drop on the on the world i actually i had the opportunity to swim directly on in the marianas trench so we we went to the marianas trench we got and it was seven miles deep i believe at that point and we did a swim call and it swam without a life vest in the marianas trench and it was like kind of like floating in middle earth it was it was interesting interesting experience but it's the great thing about the military is it opens you up to a whole new world you never knew existed, especially when you are younger. And okay. now going back to what you were saying earlier, if I was older and I did it, I would have probably enjoyed it a lot more because I would have knew what I was getting into. I would have understood the experience more, right? But taking that and kind of driving my open-mindedness and, and I read a great deal in the military. So it's always been my belief that personal development is the foundation to who you are becoming, right? And so I never defined myself before going to the military. I didn't know who I was. I just was a person who wanted to go experience life and that's what I did. And, but I never defined my future, who I wanted to become. And I got in the military and I started just reading heavily in the personal development. And I started seeing this recurring theme with all these successful people. And they always had this level of definition of purpose, definition of who they were. And so I latched onto that and I started just bringing about the mindset that I knew who I was becoming and I knew who I wanted to become. And I tried to make myself live as that person. And I will tell you, if you want to talk about transformation within your life or anybody's life, do exactly that. Define who you want to become and just live as that person. That is very true because um, I, and I say this on a couple of different episodes, after my divorce, I had no idea who I was. So I started reading as much as possible. 
before I used to make fun of people that read, I'm like, you're a dork, you're reading. Now I'm the person that I can't, like, you, I have audiobooks, I have a book that I always have on my purse, and I just read more and more, and it's a whole different horizon that just opens up once you read and once you get to explore something different. Um, Judge, I have a question. Yeah. You are a consultant currently of Mindset. Coaching me, yes. Perfect. Who is your ideal client? Oh, well, I will tell you, um, my ideal client is going to be high performers. Um, usually in the sales and marketing business, uh, startup communities, uh, directors, senior level personnel, executives, CEOs. And the reason is, is because they have an idea of what a mindset is. They have a developed structure and foundation to who they already are. And so working with those people when they're plateaued or stuck in life or, you know, they're having problems with time and energy management, it's incredibly easy to help them out and make minor tweaks in which they see massive results. Can you share uh, an, an example where you, where you apply just a minor change to somebody's mindset and change not only that leader's life, but also the whole organization's structure and perspective and uh, the whole organization pretty much? Yeah, I'll give you an individualized uh, coaching experience that I had. And this was, this was kind of recently. And so there is a client that I'm working with. And, and what I do is whenever I'm working with a business owner, I always tell them that we have certain goals and objectives for them. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. And one of those goals and objectives is, is take their annual revenue and try to make it their monthly revenue. Because if you have a business that's running, right, and there's problems in it, well, removing those obstacles that are causing those problems is usually a mindset thing. It's usually a personal thing. Our, our businesses are a microcosm of our own life, right? So our own beliefs, habits, and behaviors in our own life directly reflect into our business. What I mean by that is if you have personal problems in finance in your personal life and you're managing the finances of your business, your business is going to have financial problems. This is why we have CPAs and accountants, right? And so... With this person uh, specifically, they had a self-limiting belief that was causing them to sabotage themselves every time that they went to make money. Every time that they were going to make money. So give you an idea, they were a self-made millionaire before the age of 24. By the age of 30, they got a divorce, lost most of their fortune. Between the age of 30 and 40, they built a few companies up, sold these companies for millions of dollars, and they just never benefited financially from any of this. And so I started asking this person more about who they define themselves as. And this is interesting because when we define ourselves on the spot, right? The emotional, oh, I got to define myself. When we do that, whatever's on the surface of the subconscious mind comes out. And so usually if you have self-limiting beliefs that are kind of obstructing you, that's what's going to come out in this definition. And this person told me, I'm, I'm an executive, I'm an industry leader, I'm a very passionate what I do. I don't do it for the money, but I do it because of the value I bring. And I said, stop right there. I go right that back, all back down. I go, why do you not do it for the money? They said, well, you know, after my divorce, when, when my husband took most of my fortune, I kind of had this pain towards, my, oh my God. And she realized it right there. That I had this pain, this association of pain towards money. And she redefined herself at that point in her life. And so every point after that, think about a mindset as a wall, these walls that are built up around your mind and they filter your actions and your influences, which means that if you have a self-limiting belief that tells you that money's bad, money's associated with pain, your subconscious mind unconsciously is going to sabotage every effort to make money. And that was exactly what was happening in her case. So I told her uh, basically go out and start calling some old business associates. The next day she landed a $100,000 commission, which paid her uh, just a few weeks later. And it was about a $3 million deal for the next six years. Nice. I love how you yeah. mentioned out the, the, the money. Like a lot of people identify like money is the root of evilness. And that's such a big thing. I actually just reread uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And that's one thing that the teacher tells him. It says money is the root of every evil. And she's like, but how is the root of every evil when you're a teacher and you're just teaching us something that you're not putting to practice? Like, I, that just kind of reminded me of the book that I just reread. It's a really great book. And Robert Kiyosaki, he's awesome. So money's interesting. And I do, uh, in my coaching, I, I show everybody this foundation of kind of how the universe operates. And it mm -hmm. comes through a scientific and a metaphysical philosophy. But 
Um, I, I challenge any scientist out there to, to challenge this theory. And if they can, great, I'd love to hear it. But think about it this way. There's one fundamental process that occurs every moment of every day from the inception of the universe up to this point. It is the only thing that happens in the universe. There's nothing outside of this process. It's the only thing that occurs. And from the inception of the universe to today, on the subquantum to the quantum, molecular, all the way up to the cosmological, from black holes to planets to stars, it is the only thing that continually happens over and over and over again. Do you know what it is? Exchanging money? Exchanging of energy. Two yeah. systems come together and they exchange energy. Always from a high system to a low system. This is the statement of the law of conservation of energy. And if you look at the universe in its totality, this is the only thing that happens. And these are all bound by laws and principles of how this exchange actually occurs. And so as this exchange occurs, right, these two systems, they start forming a third system, which is the inner exchange, the relationship between them. And this third system is more complex than the first, right? So now this third system goes out and it starts exchanging with another complex system. And this system evolves over time to the point where we get today. And what are we? We're nothing more than complex systems of energy exchanging. And so in a sense, you could look at us as a focal point for evolution of the universe. A, the universe experiences itself very subjectively, right? And so what we do is we form relationships with other systems of energy and we exchange that energy, except the word energy here is synonymous with value. And I say value is defined as an action or an influence, right? Anything that we externally put out into the universe right? With a derived emotion and intention with a perceived worth by the person giving and the person receiving. And so this means that a business, right, is kind of like a predefined playing field. You know, we went in there, we defined the rules and the regulations of how a business is going to work. Okay. And so this is what we call a marketplace. This is the playing field where business gets worked on. It's man-made rules and regulations of these boundaries. Entities go into this playing field and they exchange value. That's a business. B2B, B2C, doesn't matter. All we're doing is we're exchanging value through products and services. Don't confuse products and services with value. They're intermediaries for exchange. And now that's an interesting thing because what do we get in return for our value? We get money. So what does that mean? What is money? If I give a certain amount of value to somebody, right? If I give out value of myself, I have an expectation that's going to come back to me. What is that expectation? Well, I'm going to get value back. How does the universe hold and contain that value? What is the intermediary for exchange? What is the placeholder? So I want to, fo I want to focus a little bit because you triggered a question on my head. Yeah. How do you teach a business, though, to sell value, not service and product? Because they're so focused on selling service and product, but not actually selling value and creating a culture. So interesting you said that. Prudential Insurance did a study quite a few years ago, and they're trying to validate the Pareto principle as it applied to their insurance agents and the amount of revenue that was derived. Now, the Pareto principle talks about the 80-20 rule, and they discovered that 20% of their agents were bringing in 80% uh, of the revenue. They broke this down even further, and they found out that 0.1% of all the agents were bringing in 54% of all the revenue. Now, that's astounding, because guess what? They teach everybody the same business in a box mentality. It's the same business. It's the same processes and system. It's the same products and services. What was the differentiator between the agents? The value they brought. How do you think somebody had a bill of value? Well, it's, um, it's interesting. It's a mindset shift. It's understanding that you are bringing value in the first place. Many sales professionals, and you'll see this all over LinkedIn, how many people get the copy and pasted emails? Hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is how I can help you. I've helped these people. Let's talk. We all get them. There's no value derived there. I have no relationship. There's no rapport built, right? And so when we're looking at something like this is these people don't understand the concept of social sell or even just selling in general. And so selling in general, it's not why, it's not how to sell. It's why people buy, right? People buy because they like you. They like you for the information, the knowledge, the structure that you bring to the relationship. And now what is the relationship? Energy exchange, right? So that is so true. That's right. And so this is one of the key principles in understanding how to be an effective salesperson is understanding this process of energy exchange, understanding how to build and develop meaningful relationships built upon value. That is very true. And I've been working sales 
on my teenagers, I worked with sales for my parents' business, and now I work actually sales experience, car sales, door-to-door sales, outside I'm sales, sorry. indoor sales. Like yeah. I've been working, I've learned a lot. And it's, it's true, people buy from people that like it. People buy from people that bring value. You can, you can literally up the person's bill, lower the person's bill, up their car note, lower their car note. It doesn't matter. People will buy when they see value. So I've worked a little bit in the financial industry, in, in financial advising and planning. And so here's the key, is these people, they're not selling you investments. They're not selling you insurance. What they're selling you is the value of the financial literacy they're bringing to you. How to organize your money, how to bring about a budget, um, the rule of 72, all these different things that help you and benefit you long-term. The information exchange, where if you put it into action, benefits your life overall. This is value. And so here's the key is what do we get in exchange for our value? What is the placeholder that holds a certain value until we want to utilize it? We get an intermediary of exchange, a placeholder that holds that value we give, and we can take it, hold on to it, put it in our back pocket, and when we want to go exchange it for pleasure, we can do that. And that's called money. And it's completely unpolarized. It has, it's not good, it's not evil. Our actions determine whether it's good or evil. It is merely a placeholder of energy. It, ha- it's, it has no polarization. It just holds the value that you just exchanged. And when you're ready, you can go buy a car with it. You can pay your rent. You can buy food. It's going to bring you pleasure, sustenance, help you survive, or do something that's going to bring your life value. But the money, in a sense, is nothing. It's just a placeholder. And so, but this is one thing that we developed in this playing field, right, that we defined as a placeholder of value. We can utilize, I mean, we can use gold, right? Gold, silver, it doesn't matter what it is. And it's interesting that gold, because now we get into my passion of alchemy, right? It, from, from lead to gold, the, the philosopher's stone, the whole um, metaphysical philosophy and principles, right? This is kind of where I thrive and this is where I derive a lot of this from. Oh, I'm loving this whole conversation yeah. right now. I just, I just have to say I'm loving this whole conversation. But I want to focus on one point. Yep. How do, you, how do you teach people? Like, Do you think it's very important, let's say you are an X company and you sell, it doesn't matter, you sell insurance, you sell financial services, whatever, like any type of sales. Anything at the end of the day sells because sales, that's what drives the company. Do you think this type of presentation and this breakdown that you're just doing it to me, it is very important to have it on a new hire date instead of just saying, hi, this is our company. This is our culture. This is the product. Now here, go out and sell. So I truly believe that a person applying to a company should understand this before even going in and that personal branding or even company culture should be their branding. And this should be described in their principles. I I haven't interviewed in many years, but I know through different people that when you go into job interviews these days, they ask you about the company values. They ask you about what their foundational statements are, right? Do you understand the company culture? This is a very big part of corporations these days because this is the type of mindset that a lot of these new generations are coming in with, that it's about this culture, it's about this organization, and it's about these values. And so you asked about, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, you asked about teaching this or showing people Mm -hmm. this. And I think it's not something you teach somebody. It's something you open their mind up to, right? So we have to remember the mind is... The mindset is a box that surrounds your mind, right? It's your limitations. It's another word for mindset. It's just limitation. And so we have to understand that is when we start moving those walls, we have to start expanding them. Somebody can understand more. They have more open-mindedness. They can take in more information, process it, and see it from a different perspective. And so helping bring about different concepts and analogies to show people, to open them up to it, and then go through a process of introspection, of self-analysis, of self-discovery, really drives us home in the sense of the conceptualization because they start to see it in their own life. And when you can relate directly to something, you can experience it within your heart and your feeling, you know it intimately. And so that's what I try to do in the sense of my coaching is I try to bring people to that point where they feel it inside themselves and they can literally experience it through the process of self-discovery to the point where their values are known. They already know their values. One thing I'd like to say is your greatness is already inside you. You just got to get out of your own damn way. 
You know, in that own way, the obstructions, the obstacles, is your mindset. It's the limitations you place before you. Why don't we teach this in school? What was that? Why don't we teach all this in school? We should. I, I 100% firmly agree. You can only find this in books and through, I guess, people like me, personal development coaches, mindset coaches. Um, I actually, I do a lot of um, um, free coaching sessions with teenagers who are entered in college and curious about entrepreneurism. Um, and the first thing I always do to them is I send them a book. And the book I send them is Think and Grow Rich. And so they always think say, well, what's grow rich, not Think and Grow Helen. Rich. Well, because they always ask, what's the secret? What's the secret of Think and it's Grow Rich? It's a really great book. Yep. And I said, well, I'm not going to tell you. That's for you to discover. Because if you go through the book, you go through each individual chapter, you'll start to see something with inside yourself. Something inside yourself is born. A seed is planted, it's nurtured, and if it's watered, it will grow into who you want to become. And so I'm not going to give the secret away. I think I already did. If people were paying attention, I already gave the secret away. But they can go back and listen to this. But the secret is in there. And it's not think and you grow rich because obviously that doesn't work because we're, most people are in the position they're in because of the way of thinking, right? But there's, there is a very, very important part that Napoleon Hill talks about. And if you look at the recurrence, the recurrent theme and all the wealthy people that he talks about, there's one thing that is reiterated over and over and over and over. I did say it earlier. I did. Yeah, I did say it earlier. But so <laughs> but read the book and you'll find it out. It's, it's all about self-discovery. That's what these books, that's what personal development is. It's self-discovery. This is why that's I love meditation. Yeah, yeah, that's funny that you actually mentioned that book. I have a very good friend of mine at work, actually, that she was just telling me how much she just wants to improve herself and is tired of not knowing what she wants and she feels like she can do better and all this, like, desire to improve her life. So the next day I gave her my book, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, because I love that book. And I said, read it. And she actually read that within two weeks, even working full time and being a single mom and seeing how her life and her perspective on things have changed after you're reading that book. It's amazing. So I think that's a very great book selection that you actually have made for your program. That's yeah, a really, really great book. When you get it, it clicks and things move fast. Um, money just seems to kind of attract to you. And we can even talk about the law of attraction, but I, I'll be honest, uh, from a metaphysical point of view, <laughs> Um, I, I love the law of attraction. I love the concept. I like to think that it's a 20th century marketing campaign because a lot of the fundamentals of where it was actually derived from were lost. It's an interesting concept. So in the movie, The Secret, in the book, The Secret, a lot of the traditional fun fundamental concepts were left I out. I have it here somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It, it, so the actual first time it was coined was in a book by a guy by the name of William Atkinson back in the early 1900s. Um, he was a part of the, the New Thought Movement, the Theosophist Society, these types of uh, groups. And he developed this book, but under the foundation that everybody else had a certain understanding of these other foundational principles. And if you don't, you're going to find that, that sometimes you get the parking spot, but you don't get the million dollars. Right? You can manifest the parking spot. Got it. But you can never get the million dollars. It's not consistent. And the reason it's not consistent is because there's so much more that people have to understand in the sense of how it operates. And it is a double-edged sword in a lot of sense. So people can really, I don't want to say hurt themselves, but if you use it incorrectly, a lot of bad things can come about about it. And that's why a lot of this occult uh, obscurity in the sense of the, the mysteries, the metaphysics have been hidden for so long. And that's why they are hidden in metaphor, allegory, and, and different types of cultural uh, um, books and, and scripts and manuscripts. I want to I wanna touch a little bit on that previous conversation a couple of days ago. I did share with you uh, a little bit of my personal experience with anxiety, and I loved your response. I wanted you to share that with the audience, too, before we do jump to the final question. But I think that was such a great feedback that you gave me and the way you broke it down, so I would love for the audience to also know that. So just a little bit back up story, guys. A couple of days with me and Joshua actually had another phone call. Um, I was explaining to him that, a couple of months, I was actually going through anxiety because I had so much in my mind that I want to do. And I felt like something was holding me back without realizing it was my own mind, which I first, I did take anxiety medication, but then I stopped because I'm like, I know I can do this on my own, which we're here today, which I'm doing it. But you broke it up very good for me. 
Can you can you break yeah. that for break that down for the audience too? Because I think it'd be very beneficial for them. So I, my whole mentality operates in the sense of system integration and process management. So when we look at who we are, right, our mind or whatever it is, our, our body, this whole thing, this whole system, we break it down into four different bodies. Excuse me. We first have our physical body, our emotional body, our mental body, and our spiritual body. Our physical body is this interactory zone with our existential environment, our existential reality. Okay. And so this is kind of like the first part that, that hits our reality and absorbs energy in a sense in this energy exchange that occurs. Well, the interesting part is, is that the next part that interfaces with the energy is our emotional body. And see, most people don't understand how the emotional body works. They don't understand any concepts of how it works. So sometimes they can get overbalanced or underbalanced and completely throw us out of whack. And how this works is very similar to kind of how your home network's set up. You have a modem, it's a modulator, demodulator, and you have a Wi-Fi router that transmits and receives. And so what it is, is you have a data inflow or data outflow, and that comes from your modem. It's taking data in and it's disseminating, and it's putting data out and it disseminates that way. And then it sends a signal to the Wi-Fi receiver transmitter, which takes information in and sends it out. Now, here's the thing is if we have certain emotional associations or experiences that happen to us, we can capture them, but not really define them. So fears and anxiety just mean things that we have not defined in our life. And it goes to, did I tell you about the Scooby-Doo analogy, right? No, you didn't. Okay. So it goes back to the Scooby-Doo analogy. You, you guys will love this. Okay. There's one moral that came about from every Scooby-Doo episode ever. And that's that all monsters are nothing more than humans in disguise. And if you take their masks off, you remove their power and give the power to yourself. Ah. And so this is a, an analogy for fear. I love that. Yeah. And so it's an analogy for fear that all your fears are merely things in your environment that are undefined. And if you define them with your own mind and associate them towards some type of emotion, you remove the, the, uh, the fear or the power away from that fear and you empower yourself with the knowledge. And so, so all anxiety, all fear, all, all these things that stress us out are simply things we have yet to undefine. So imagine this energy comes into this modulator, demodulator through the Wi-Fi receiver, right? And it's sitting there. It doesn't know where to go. So it sits there and it starts building up because more of it's coming in and it sits there and it builds up and it builds up. And guess what? Eventually that area is going to become saturated. And so when it comes saturated, it starts seeping into our mind body and our physical body this is the advent of stress anxiety right so it's just a saturated energy point now here's the key is when we have this saturation this buildup of this energy in the emotional body we're given unconscious attention to it but the attention is still attention it's our life force and so we start to focus on that buildup of energy and it starts taking our attention away from everything outside of us and so it brings our perspective to a very narrow point. And if you know anybody with depression or anxiety, the world gets very narrow, very limited in what you can do. And you feel like there's no escape. And this is what actually happens is that our energy is being sucked in to this level of this buildup because we're not doing anything with it. We're not disseminating it. It's saturated. It's seeping. It's causing pain. Piling up and it's just, yep. That's right. And so there's some really cool things that we can do in the sense of coaching to alleviate that. And I'll tell you, just the knowledge of the Scooby-Doo analogy makes all the difference. I love it. I feel like I'm going to use the Scooby-Doo analogy, even if I just stress out myself for like a, a deadline or something, or like, like I'm, I'm scared of the dark, for example. So I feel like I'm just going to use the Scooby-Doo analogy and start sleeping on dark, which would be a big thing for me after years, because in my mind, dark is bad. And that's something for years, like since I was a little. So, so I'm going to use that analogy. Do you like music? Yeah. Okay. This is a good analogy for light and dark. All right. Look at light as the musical notes, right? They're composed. They're created. They have to be strategically placed within the melody. But if it wasn't for the darkness, if it wasn't for the space between, you'd have no harmony. You'd have no balance. You'd have no melody. You'd have no rhythm. It is the space between that allows us to see the light. 
Len Horowitz, he's a um, metaphysical um, speaker. He does this great analogy. Um, you can find it on YouTube. You just type in Len Horowitz, light and dark. Um, and he talks about the po power of light over dark. It, it's so beautiful because I think about this is kind of what he says. He goes, when I think about the power of the creator, I tend to think about this analogy. See, you can walk into a room full of hatred, full of darkness, full of evil. And you can light just one flicker of light, one flame, and darkness flees. But see, you can't do the opposite. You can't walk into a room full of light, full of truth, full of righteousness and wisdom, and darkness can never take hold. And so I tend to think about that when I think about the power of the creator, when I think about the power of love, of gratitude, of light, of the progression of our lives towards something meaningful, towards something purposeful. I wrote that down. I'm going to look that up. I, I like yeah. that one. Oh it's my powerful. goodness. I feel like I, I've learned, <laughs> I learned so much in this conversation. I feel like this is like the right push for me meeting at this moment myself too, since I have a lot on my plate. So thank you. Thank you for sharing all that. Absolutely. And I hope all the listeners absolutely take advantage of all the great, amazing knowledge that you just dropped for us. Now, as we all know, the last question is always, what is your personal definition of success? So I've had many definitions of success in my life, but there's one that resonated with me. And this comes from The Greatest Secret by Earl Nightingale. And that is success is the progressive realization towards a worthy ideal. The progressive realization towards a worthy ideal. It's a mental and a physical process of where you're coming into who or what you've always wanted to become. And it's a progressive state. So that is what success means to me. It's a progressive realization towards a worthy ideal. As quoted by I love it. Real Nightingale. Yeah. I love it. And I love when I ask what's your definition of success because it's always everybody's answer is different. And I've yet to run to the person it's this X amount of money. And I doubt I'll ever have those guests. I wonder sometimes if a guest is actually going to say that just because I keep saying this. <laughs> but I love it. I, I think it's very important, the, the progressive, uh, uh, like the progress along with it. Like you have to give yourself credit it, to see yourself where you were from yesterday to today. And that is success. Smaller steps get you to the top of the mountain. Self-discovery. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. is it's the self-discovery of who you've always wanted to become. Your greatness is inside of you. The seeds are planted. Awesome. And Joshua, I'll attach all your information, of course. But if all my listeners want to get a hold of you, where can we find you? How can they get a hold of you? All right. My website is joshuarobertreed.com. That's J-O-S-H-U-A-R-O-B-E-R-T-R-E-I-D.com. Um, or you can just find me on LinkedIn, first name, last name, Joshua Reed. Uh, um, slash Joshua Reed at LinkedIn. Um, they can also connect with me uh, through uh, the information that I'll share with you that you can upload with the podcast. Perfect. Awesome. Do you have social media, Instagram, Facebook, they can connect with you there? So LinkedIn preferred. I am on Instagram and Facebook. Um, not so big. I don't post much on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, more Instagram and LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Perfect. Awesome. And I'll attach all the information there as well. Well, I definitely want to thank you, Joshua, for your time and for your awesome interview today. And for all of my listeners out there, if you, have, if you want to listen to great, amazing episodes like the one today, do not forget to tune in every Tuesday for new interviews. And we do have bonus episodes on Thursdays. And don't forget, guys, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, YouTube, Podbean. Now we've got accepted to iHeartRadio as well. And as always, www.rmpodcastfl.com. Hope you guys have a great day.